our Tennis Weekly crowdfund is now open. It's very, very exciting. Something we do every year. We are, of course, a by fans, for fans podcast. We have been going six seasons. We have produced 390 episodes, believe it or not. And uh, we really do rely on our listeners to help support and financially back us to produce each and every episode throughout the season so this is a really really important time for us i know we've got the quiz and it's all very exciting but yes the tennis wiki crowdfund is now live yes it's been an incredible year for us here at tennis weekly and you know big thanks to our listeners for making that happen you know we had a really great uh, engagement with our crowdfunder last year and that meant we could keep going uh, over the last 12 months to really grow the team and the podcast as you know, Chris has joined us full time. Uh, we've been lucky enough to attend, you know, ATP, WTA and ITF tournaments uh, as kind of media accredited journalists. And that means we've been able to get up close uh, to pose some of your questions to top players. You know, we've Joel's spoken to Andy Murray, which, you know, I think he's still kind of recovering from that. Um, but also the likes of Kasper Rude, Andre Rublev. We've been able to get more insight from top players to bring to you guys. And big thanks as well to our expanded team We've had Alina and Christopher helping us in a volunteer capacity to really overhaul our visuals and social channels and um, produce the podcast as well um, when we're out and about. So massive thanks to everyone, uh, listeners, volunteers and and the wider team to help us do what what we do and what we love to do. And something that comes with all of this is that there is a significant cost to running a podcast. So whatever we get from the crowdfund and our sponsorship, we do reinvest into covering the growing costs of podcasting. And this covers things like our tech capabilities, our sound systems, the licenses for the software that we use, our website and social media fees. And if there's something left over, then we use it to support travel and accommodation when we attend tournaments so we can give you the ultimate fan insight into life on tour. And so it's these sort of costs and expenditures that make our annual crowdfunder so important to enabling us to keep running the podcast without too great of a negative balance sheet at the end of each year so listeners if you want to show your support for the show the tennis weekly crowdfund is open we will put the link in the description we are now with gofundme and the link is www.gofundme.com slash tennis dash weekly dash 2024 that's www.gofundme.com dot com slash tennis dash weekly dash 2024 we'll put the link in description we really appreciate anyone who shows our support if they can financially do that that's great but even listening to the show into 2024 it is honestly what uh, motivates us put scripts together we do have full-time jobs so we do this purely you know on on the side and we treat it you know respectfully and, and professionally and when we get feedback and engagement uh, we see it on our social channels it really kind of drives us to kind of continue and and put out all of these episodes please take your seats quickly ladies and gentlemen thank you hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to tennis weekly with joel kim and chris on today's end of season review we speak with the athletics tennis writer matthew futterman and look back on the season that was 2023 on the atp and wta tours Matt, 
thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the show at Tennis Weekly HQ. It's great to have you here to reflect on the tennis season that was in 2023. First of all, how how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's a nice time of year to be in the New York area, um, especially in New York City, where I usually am. And uh, so I'm doing pretty well. How are you? How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I'm just I'm, I feel like I'm just catching my breath. The tennis season is so long. I mean, it's the end of November, start of December. And we've got kind of this golden, I don't know, three weeks, I feel, before it all kicks off again for 2024. Yeah, it's too long. There's no question. <laughs> it's too long. We need more. The tennis season needs to be longer, right? It seems to be like one endless entity, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just uh, it's too long. And I say, you know, and I don't. Uh, I mean, I say that for my own concentration <laughs> level, but also, you know, I just really feel for these players and what their bodies <laughs> go through and how they just don't have any. They they have so little time to recover, and they talk about the off season. There is no off season. And there really is no off season. I mean, I, I don't know, they get like a week off and then they have to start training again and they and I don't know, or two weeks but I mean it's really up to them. But I mean, if if I had to be in Australia competing just after Christmas, I that would probably wreck my December, uh, in terms of preparation and probably part of the end I don't know, I, I, I guess probably I'd give myself to the end of November. And but that, but that's nothing. I mean, a lot of these players, you know, just stopped playing tournaments a couple of weeks ago. I know it's it's crazy, and I know we've got ex- exhibition tours. I saw Yannick Sinner. He's, I think he's playing Kuyong like as an exhibition event. He's not even playing a lead up um, to the Australian Open on the tour. So it just shows, I think, how crazy the season is. But in this episode, we're going to be looking back on the ATP season 2023. We're going to be looking back on the WTA season as well, 2023. We're going to be making some predictions along the way as well as uh, we're going to be breaking out some awards and some categories. Um, I'm very curious to see what answers you give me. But first of all, before we kind of get into talking about the ATP season and reflecting back, for our listeners, you are the athletics tennis writer. I mean, what's your what's your background in tennis? How did you get involved in tennis? And what is it about the sport that drew you in? So I am a kid of the 1970s tennis boom in america uh and you know you name all the sort of classic classic characters <laughs> borg connors McEnroe, everett navratilova tracy austin you know those were my people mm. when i was a kid who uh got me completely fascinated with tennis i grew up about 10 miles from the Billie jean king national tennis center uh and that, it was was there in the very first year um, at, that the that the U.S. Open was held there after it moved from the West Side Tennis Club in Forest Hills, which I don't know is a couple few miles away from where it is now. Um, and I've just been was hooked ever since. I was I was a it, you know I I played as a kid. I was you know not good enough to play in junior tournaments, but but knew lots of kids who did. I it, it went I, I ended up getting pretty good as I got a little older, or I guess getting pretty good, good enough to play bad <laughs> division three college tennis in America. That's what I like to hear. Uh, yeah. So, um, it, it went zero and eight in singles my senior year, still trying to get over that all these years <laughs> later. Um, probably not going to happen. So uh, I've always been involved in it 
from from that standpoint, from a participatory standpoint. And as a journalist, I sort of morphed into a into a sports writer about five years into my journalism career, and I've been a sports writer for about twenty five years. And tennis is just a sport that I gravitated towards because. I, I knew a good bit about it. I, I, I had a sense of you know what the what the challenges were of you know trying to actually win points in games and sets and actual tennis matches, and uh, you know was as soon as I started covering it um, was sort of drawn to it uh, you know as, as, as one would be drawn towards the sun, both figuratively and literally, because much of tennis takes place in the sun. And um, it's just, you know, it is it is an intoxicating kind of sport. And, and, you know, this 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 battle of of wills, sort of like boxing without any without any actual hand to hand combat. But it looks pretty close to hand to hand combat. And it's, uh, you know, I like to refer to all, I'm writing a book about the Monetetta store right now. And the working title is the cruelest game. And that's really what I feel about it is it is the cruelest game for, for so many, for so many reasons and, and has a kind of agony and ecstasy to it that I don't, I don't, I haven't seen in a lot of the other sports I've covered and I've, covered many many other sports from you know world cup football to uh the all the olympic sports the nfl nba uh pretty much covered just about everything uh in my career other than cricket haven't written about cricket (laughs) yeah it's definitely a very gladiatorial sport i feel like that's why so many people get riled up about on-court coaching and how that factors in where some other people just want singles players to think it out for themselves um, on on the tennis court. So I kind of totally get that point of view. And uh, it's great. I think we see, you know, we joke about the season being so long, but the fact is like pretty much every week of the year, we can see players in this context, um, you know, duke it out across across the world. And, uh, you know, we were speaking you know, before we started recording about all the tournaments you've been to this season. I mean, you were recently at the ATP Tour Finals in Turin. And I've got to say, I think that was probably one of the best events of the season. I know I mean, we normally talk about kind of the Grand Sams and the Grand Sam Finals, but I think you look back on Turin from a from a fan perspective anyway, when I was watching it on the TV, it just looked such a fun event to be at. I mean, what was your what was your experience of it out there? Well, it was very interesting having been there the year before when there mm. were no Italian players in the field and then having having gone and going there a year later. Uh, when Yannick Sinner was, you know, coming in on this incredible, mm. in, in great, in just great form, and really sort of ready to pounce, and it really accentuated and emphasized this this love that Italians have for tennis that, that I think is really underestimated because they've so rarely had, a, you know, a, a great champion. Um, and so I think it, Italy gets kind of overlooked as a tennis nation. And they've done so much work over the last, uh, let's say, 10, 15 years and putting so many low-level tournaments there, challenger tournaments uh, and ITF tournaments. And, you, and what you're really seeing is the fruits of that effort uh, because they, they have a hell of a crop of young talent at this point, whether it's Sinner or Musetti or Analdi, um, 
they've got a lot of good young men coming up. Uh, and to say nothing of Berrettini, who's been terrific for a while now. Um, so it, it, there is a real hunger there for great tennis, for great Italian tennis. And, you know, there was some, there were some, ear-splitting decibel levels that you heard inside that Palette Upper Tour. I think jo- uh, Djokovic especially. was orchestrating them at, at, at moments, yes. wasn't he? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and you love to see that. I mean, you love to see a home crowd getting on a, you know, getting on a, a visiting player. And, you know, as long as they're doing it and not sort of yelling into the serve or things like that. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's what sport is all about. Uh, advantages, disadvantages, overcoming advantages and disadvantages, and um, that was that was all on display there. And so I think it's a pretty successful event, especially because I think several years ago when Turin was was chosen, people sort of thought, "Wow, you're going from London to this mm. small city in northern Italy," um, and so there was some sort of skepticism about it. But I think what Turin has showed is that you know if you can become become a real event you can pull people in from elsewhere and it is rather centrally located pretty easy to get to especially from milan and that place is you know packed every night for every session and it was really impressive do you feel like this was the year that skepticism just disappeared i you know i was at the the davis cup finals and i think personally i think this year with Djokovic there sinner there you know, I think it showed actually this format can work. Did you feel like with the tour finals, particularly this year in Turin, the fact that, as I say, we got some great matches, do you feel like it sort of put the nail in the coffin of like, actually, you know, Turin's had its time. Do we think about moving it again? Uh, I think it probably, it probably will move at some point. Uh, I don't think, I don't expect Turin to be the permanent home of it. Uh, but I think Turin has really sort of done its job. Uh, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that a city needs to do is fill the stands. And usually if you fill the stands, everything else takes care of itself uh, because the comp- you know, top eight players in the world are there. So the competition is going to be there. You're going to get lots of two out of three, lots of three set matches because they're so close in ability that there aren't going to, there isn't going to be, there aren't going to be too many blowouts. So the, 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 comp- the competitive level is going to be there and it's just a matter of getting, you know, bums and seats and then everything out the atmosphere and everything else can, can sort of take care of itself. Well, they certainly did that. I mean, looking back on on the whole season on on the ATP tour, I mean, what what have been your overall impressions of it? Because you know, interim Novak Djokovic ultimately ended as the champion. It felt like at times, you know, this season on the tour that that it just whenever Novak Djokovic entered a tournament, it was always going to be him winning it. We saw it mostly with the you know the Grand Sams bar Wimbledon. I mean, what's your view on on how the ATP season unfolded you know from the start of the year i mean i thought it was a pretty darn good season uh and especially it it was neat to see novak djokovic sort of evolve throughout this season and i think a lot of people forget where he was so recently i mean a year ago in turin he was playing there after having missed the U.S. Open, having had to hunt around the world for 
countries that would let him in because he's not vaccinated. And he played in Tel Aviv and, you know, was trying to get himself ready for the finals. And, and to, so he could come into form there. He showed up. He still didn't know when he showed up, whether he was going to be able to even go back to Australia because his visa had been revoked. And his lawyers were still working on a deal to get that approval. The approval came while he was there. But even once the approval came, I think there was a lot of question marks about how he was going to be received. He was a very controversial figure, not just in tennis, but also just in sport in general. And, you know, he showed up in Australia and was not comfortable there early on and sort of slowly got himself to a point where he was sort of comfortable with the crowd, but then he had this disaster with his father posing for a picture with a guy holding a Russian flag um, in the, you know, the terrible war in Ukraine is going on. So he had to, he was dealing with that, which, which, you know, which earned him a lot of ire during that tournament in a place that was still in large part, pretty mad at him from the year before. And, you know, he goes on and wins the tournament and then who goes out and wins, you know, wins uh, the French Open and, you know, gets to 23. And he becomes this sort of elder statesman and really sort of blossoms into this, this ultimate figure, not just in tennis, but also in sport is the, you know, the greatest who's ever played. And everyone sort of agrees with that. And, and then he sort of became something completely different the rest of the year in terms of carrying that mantle. I think he's really enjoyed it. I think it's, it's calmed him down. I think he's, he's soaking up a lot of, uh, a lot of adulation that he, that he didn't used to get. Um, part of that may be because Federer and Nadal are no longer really playing and Nadal's supposed to come back next year, but we'll see. And he sort of represents this golden era of tennis as the last man standing. And so, you know, you talk about, it, it's hard not to, it's hard to talk about the ATP season without pretty much only talking about Novak Djokovic, because I, I, I think people thought he was still going to be terrific this year. I don't know that anyone saw he was, saw him winning three Grand Slam finals, making the final of the fourth, fourth one. And, you know, but for a floating for a floating for a wobbly floating <laughs> forehand, uh, he's probably wins the Grand Slam this year. And also, he was very close, I would say, to, to winning the Davis Cup. You know, he's matched points up against Yannick Sinner. It has taken some truly heroic moments, I think, from, from Alcaraz and Sinner, you know, to deprive Djokovic, arguably, maybe, of his, his greatest ever season. How far do you feel like Djokovic is out in front versus the, the chasing pack? Do you think over the course of this season, it's, that distance has got greater and greater and 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 has that surprised you in some in some sense you know the fact with Carlos Alcaraz for example I mean he 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 won Wimbledon did he really kick on from Wimbledon though and and challenge Djokovic throughout the rest of the year I I feel like it that is up for debate but how do you feel like Djokovic compares to the rest of the field so I I I, I keep going back to that sort of famous Andre Agassi quote about the problem with tennis being is that by the time that mentally you figure out how to play the game and how to manage the game, your body can't do it anymore, uh, that it takes that long. And that Djokovic, because 
he has taken such immaculate care of his body, especially the last sort of, let's say, eight years, five, five to eight years, because he was breaking down a little bit in 16, it was 16, yeah, 16, 17, around that period. Um, he started to have some injury problems, but really since then, he has taken such immaculate care of his body, really sort of treating, treating his body like an F1 car and has gotten smarter as tennis player as well, which is what happens to you when you play, the more you play, the more information you're gathered. You know, he's like a, he's like an AI program where he's constantly, he's still learning and he's getting more data and receiving more and, and processing more data. And so I do think, you know, at the moment, look, he's significantly out front of pretty much everyone else, especially, you know, especially on a hard court. And I would even say on grass, I think, you know, I don't know what the, what the, what the mathematicians would have, what the math said about what his win probability was in the second set tiebreaker, but it's probably pretty high. Um, any tiebreaker, I feel like he, he just, yeah, he just has it down, doesn't yeah. it? And if he wins that set, he wins, you know, he probably, he probably wins it, wins the match in three sets. Um, and he, you know, he just, he has completely mastered grass. So, you know, fair play to Alcaraz beating him on his toughest surface. So, yeah, I mean, at this point right now, I think he's a good bit better, um, than, than most everybody. And I think, you know, this year end number one for him is, 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 somewhat astonishing because he just he barely played you know i mean he 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 played the slams could play miami or indian wells he wasn't allowed in the country uh at that point you know played a few played a he played a pretty sizable clay court season or tried to um but didn't win all that much and then played cincinnati and uh, you know cincinnati the u.s open and didn't go to asia uh, I don't think, right. He didn't go to Asia. He didn't go to Asia. He just played at Paris. Um, and you know, that's it. He played, I don't know, 11, 12 tournaments, something like that. Thing is he won seven or eight of them. So he had this enormous point total, which is, I mean, look at the other guys who are playing 17, 18, 19 tournaments. So, um, it's really kind of astonishing what he pulled off in terms of Alcaraz that you asked about. I think he's figuring out, I think he's still figuring out his body. Uh, which is something that Rafa had to deal with when he was that age. And so, you know, long-term, uh, Alcaraz is going to be, is, uh, you know, obviously going to be a huge star probably for years to come, as long as he doesn't get sustain any really serious injuries. Uh, but he, he is going to have to figure out how to stay healthier. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Just just going back to Djokovic, you you spoke to him. You sorry, you you spoke about him as this sort of F one car in terms of like you know all the data he kind of brings in and how he's kept himself in in immaculate shape. And I feel like Formula One has been a big talking point in relation to particularly the ATP Tour this season because we had Breakpoint come out you know at the start of the season on Netflix. There's talk of the the tour basically trying to emulate what you know formula one has done and is doing what did you make of the impact first of all of breakpoint on the tour in terms of how it was documenting um the tour and how it was you know looking to bring in a new audience well it was interesting that so many players who 
agreed to cooperate with it broke down and <laughs> yes, I, you know, the Netflix I, was, curse, so, I believe you know yeah something I mean, that was that was initially <laughs> sort of interesting and you do wonder about a little bit of the heisenberg effect there you know if they have if if you have a camera following you around in practice are you are you training a little too hard are you going mm. harder if, are you trying to impress the camera um too much like I, I do wonder a little bit about that uh you know but i do think it did i heard from a lot of my friends who were not serious tennis fans that they had indeed watched break point um and had been interested in it and had enjoyed it uh so i think it served its purpose in a lot in a lot of ways because I think that was the main thing that tennis wanted to do, and I know Andre Gadenzi, who is the who is the chairman of the ATP tour. I mean, he I think he feels like that uh, non match programming is almost as important as match programming these days, or at least moving forward, and that it's going to be very important uh, moving forward um, to to the promotion and growth of the tour. Yeah, it's certainly, I think, become a bit more of an entertainment business, um, you know, this season, whether that's, you know, it, it, I think it has both good and, and bad sides. I think it, it can bring in new audiences, but I also think there are probably diehard fans out there who think it's a lot of just kind of white noise around the main event, which is just kind of let's keep focusing and, and talking on the tennis. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I know there's a, a new season on the horizon, so we'll have to see how that develops and whether the, you know, the numbers hold up. But I think it's been an interesting kind of look at how the tour, as I say, has almost kind of taken Formula One as a model and has been like, well, in order to to go forward and evolve, we need to kind of look at how, how we do that. Um, I mean, just looking at the, the Grand Slams, I mean, we had the Australian Open, French, Wimbledon, US Open. The only winner was Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz. Did it just quickly feel like a, a procession when it came to the Grand Slams? It, it did feel like it, it needed a moment of magic just to kind of stop <laughs> Novak Djokovic in his tracks. Well, what I was, I, I, I think what I kept coming back to and sort of have concluded somewhat at mm. the end of the season is just how that, you know, the original next-gen group, um, sort of Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev, I don't know, would you put Shapovalov in that group? He's about that age, he's 25 or so. Um, he's probably about to probably turning 26 fairly soon. Uh, you know, that whole crew, how it looks increasingly with each passing month almost, in each passing year, that they're they may very well be getting passed over. Yeah, um, I agree. That they that that they're just it's just stagnated. I feel this this season, arguably. Yeah, I don't know. That, I mean, I mean, Zverev had that bad ankle injury, but I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure if he's one of if he's if he he would have done if his other than playing more. I'm not mm. sure if his ultimate results, his ceiling would have been all that different had he not had yeah. that injury um Tsitsipas seems to be not getting better at the moment uh you know Medvedev has his as his one grand slam win but I'm not sure he's getting all that much better at the moment um played a great match against Alcaraz but you know he's sinner seems to at least judging by the end of the season 
um, may have passed him. I'm not really sure, but it seems he seemed to certainly had his number in the fall. And I mean, that's also, I, I, I do, I do look, you know, very skeptically at what happens after the U S open. Uh, everybody's pretty burnt out. A lot of people are banged up. There's a lot of easy appearance fee paychecks to be made in Asia. Um, I do wonder how hard a, a lot of, a lot of times the people who win are the people who have decided they really want to try hard at that point in the year and they have a huge advantage over everybody else. So, you know, we'll see what Yannick Sinner does, you know, starting in Australia. Um, I don't think he won't be great. He certainly seems like the kind of individual who should be great, but you know, the star of, of, of the fall of 2022 was uh, Felix Oger Eliassime and, it's a much different story for well, 2023. Well, I, I would say that the one of the star players of of the fall of, of of 2023 has been has been Ben Shelton, and I wanted to ask you about your views on on USA men's tennis because I think at the start of the year they had ten Americans in the top fifty. Feels like they've got like a lot of names now. Um, you know, back in they've got kind of strength in depth there. Maybe they don't have someone who is like got that top five potential at, at the moment. But how have you looked back on on the men's performances on the tour, as well as the team as well? Because we didn't see them at the, you know, the Davis Cup in, in the final eight, which to me was also a little bit of a surprise. Well, I asked Taylor Fritz and I saw, I ran, I was with him in turn. And mm. I said, you know, I said, what do you, what do you, what kind of grade do you give yourself um, for this season? And he kind of got this sour look on his face and he was like, I don't know, <laughs> B, B minus. Um, he was pretty, you know, and, and I think I, I think a lot of the players might give themselves a similar grade except for, I mean, and I'm excluding Shelton, obviously, because mm. he's, I don't, but in terms of the other players, the names that have been more familiar um, I think they might all give themselves around that grade with the exception being Tommy Paul, who, you know, certainly made big jumps this season. I think significant jumps into, uh, you know, top 16, I think about is about where he is right now. Um, he certainly was there in the last couple of months and has some, you know, beat Alcaraz, uh, in Canada and, you know, was quite competitive with him and, in Cincinnati and semifinals, the Australian Open. So I think he has a lot to be ple- a lot to be pleased about. But um, Francis Diafo, no doubt, is disappointed. Mm. He made the top ten, feels good about that, but that's not really. I think he saw himself playing in a in a Grand Slam final this year. Um, Fritz, same thing. You know, really underperformed in the Grand Slams until you got to the U.S. Open. Uh, and I think he still feels, even though, you know, no shame in losing to Djokovic in, in, uh, in, a, in a Grand Slam, but I still think he feels like he served pretty poorly uh, that during those two weeks in, in that match and would give himself, you know, you know, going out in three sets like that, he, he would not give himself a good, uh, a good grade for that tournament as a whole. What is the feeling around kind of Ben Shelton? Because I think, you know, everyone knows him for the, like the, you know, the the phone uh, hand gesture he, he gave Novak Djokovic. And is he kind of bordering on confidence 
versus arrogance perhaps and maybe you need that at, at a young age coming onto the you know coming onto the tour and making a name for yourself but what what do you feel like the expectation is of you know Ben Shelton from the, the US press in terms of where he should be going and and what what he should be looking to achieve going into 2024 I mean the people smarter than me than smarter than anybody in the press so <laughs> you know I'll the, you know, people who, people like Patrick McEnroe, and mm. you know the people who are really good at tennis and, and know this stuff. I mean, they think he's the most likely one to win a Grand Slam. Wow! Um, and they think he probably should. Uh, you know, in the next, five, you know, in the next five years or something, as he, as he evolves. Um, I mean, he can serve the he, he can serve the ball 150 miles an hour, and the only people who really could reach that level that the game has seen were you know, two meters tall or you mm. know, for the American audience, you know, six, 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 you know, six, seven or six, nine, you know, John Isner and they, and they were going to have Riley Opelka and they were going to have real issues, you know, in rallies. Um, it, it, when the, when the, when the points move beyond the serve, it, Ben Shelton is a hell of an athlete and a great mover. And is just, it is so raw at this point, you know, didn't play the junior, didn't play the junior slams growing up, didn't leave the country. I mean, didn't have a passport until last December. Um, you know, played college tennis, won the NCAAs. And it, I mean, if you think of how little, the, if you put Novak Djokovic on one end of the, 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 the spectrum in terms of the amount of data that he has in his brain, I mean, put Ben Shelton all the way, all the way, all the way <laughs> at the other end of the spectrum. He's just, he just hasn't hit that. I mean, he's just hit so few balls at this level. So, you know, you get, and he's, he's, you know, he's a smart guy and, you know, a hard worker and wants to be good and uh, just has a desire. And, um, I think there's it would be really hard to take any 20 year old who makes a Grand Slam semifinal um, in the in the men's game the way it is these days and not be pretty optimistic about his future, much less someone who does it in his first, you know, his first season on the tour with that little tennis behind him. So, uh, I mean, I, I think. I think the idea is that, that you know, the, the ceiling is just as high as it could be for him. Yeah, I agree. I think what I've been impressed by has been how quickly um, he has taken to the tour and uh, it'll be exciting to see what happens next season. But we're going to move on to some Tennis Weekly Awards for the ATP Tour in 2023. Now, I gave you some categories earlier in the week that I'm very curious to see what answers you're going to give me. I've given you five. We've got five awards here. We've got Favourite Match of 2023, Surprise Package of 2023, Most Improved Player, Biggest Disappointment, and three words to describe the ATP season. We haven't got a lot of time, I think, before we we go on to the WTA, so I just want to hear... I'm going to give you the the category. I'm, I want to hear your answer. Have you got? Is that all right? Yeah, sure. That's fine. <laughs> okay, right. Favorite match of 2023. Uh, so I, I'll go very generic, but I don't. I don't know how you could not say the Wimbledon <laughs> final. And it I was that, wondering if that was going to be your answer. I, I mean, it's you know, I it's sort of like you know, 
and, and I don't think it's as bad as saying like your favorite Springsteen song is born to run, which is, <laughs> which is not my favorite Springsteen song. Okay. Um, but it, it, so, but I don't know how, <laughs> how you it's could go against it. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, it, it had everything, this generational battle. It had, it was a rematch from three weeks before or five, four, five weeks before, whatever it was, it was, the, it was center court. It was five hours. It was, it was a <laughs> miraculous comeback. I mean, you know, and I mean, the, the good fortune and blessing of my life is, you know, I was sitting 10 rows up, so, or whatever okay. it was. I'm not going to hold you, up. I'm not going to hold you then to what I was going to say is probably the most predictable answer, but what about the next category, surprise package of 2023? Well, I think, how do you, how is it not Ben Shelton, right? Um, yeah. It's, it, it, I mean, go through everything I just said about him. I mean, no one, no one saw saw him saw him doing anything like this. Uh, it, it, you know, he made making the quarters of Australia on his first trip outside the country it was it was ridiculous. Um, and and then, like I said, the the improvement. Uh, and it was it was a bit of a you know he he was he struggled for many months which is normal yeah i agree i was gonna say i think it was a surprise given the start of the season he you know he had it wasn't um yeah I, I expected more from him actually in the in the grass court season as you said he's got a big serve on him and it didn't didn't feel like it quite clicked when it maybe should have so but he'd never he'd never he'd never walked on a grass court mm. it was like bambi yeah. on ice he never walked on a grass court until I mean I can look up, I have to I would I should look in my calendar because I interviewed him I think the day at, I, it was like it was like June 11th or something like that you know and and I was on the phone with his dad and he was like yeah we got in yesterday morning and like we went over to the All England Club and hit for a bit, and that was his first time. He had never, he, he had never set foot on a grass tennis court, in you know, there's not that many of them in the U.S. But he'd never been to Newport. He'd never been to the handful <laughs> of. He'd never been out to East Hampton where they have them in Long Island. It just it, it, so I, I didn't expect. It. I mean, yeah, great serve, all that, but I mean. I, I've played on grass like once or twice in my life <laughs> and wanted to run away from it. And the ball doesn't bounce above your ankles. So, and it took, I mean, so I, I'll be fascinated to see what he does on grass next year. But, okay. But this right. year, I mean, crazy. <laughs> right. Most improved player of 2023. Um, most improved player. I, I, I guess you would, I, I'd probably say Tommy Paul. Okay. Yeah. We, we're differing on answers here, actually, for the first time. Um, I yeah. went I went Yannick Sinner and his level against top 10 players. Well, yeah, he did have a lot of wins. He did have a lot of wins against top 10 players. Um, I mean, what was it about Tommy Paul you think has you've seen that, that has made him your most improved player? I guess the, the biggest thing is his attitude. Um, he's really, you know, he's a person who's sort of struggled with his head. And he seems really serious about getting about mm. about being as good as he can possibly be these days and in addition to that he uh his all-court game has just become a whole lot different um he's he's coming in more he's got good touch 
And, um, you know, I think that I, there was a lot of matches where you would, you, you looked at them on the schedule last year and you said like, Oh, Tommy's good. Tommy should win that. And then he didn't win it. And so he would be out in the second round or something like that. And that just really wasn't happening very much this year. Um, and you know, he can, and he can go toe to toe with, look, he can, he can really go toe to toe with Alcaraz. He's beaten him twice. Um, not a lot of players have done that. And he can, and I think that says a lot to, to him. And I don't think that a lot of people would have predicted that for Tommy Paul. What's been your biggest disappointment of 2023? So my, I mean, I hate to use the word disappointment because I feel like it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with, with me, but in terms of, I think the player who's most disappointed in his season is probably Ojer Aliassime mm. at this point. Uh, I think, I think he really expected big things of yeah. himself this year. Um, Why do you and, think it's not panned out? Because he had such a fantastic end to, uh, you know, the 2022 season. What what was it about this season you just don't think helped him uh, helped him continue that momentum? Well, I think he's got two issues. I think the, I mean, he had some injuries. Uh, he was, he and Shapovalov were both sort of limping around throughout the summer um, and were struggling with injuries. And, you know, in addition to that, I think he, I, I think he's, he's, his, his plan A has been so strong and taken him so far that I think he has, hasn't really developed a plan B, mm. you know, which you sort of need seemingly against those top 10 players. And it, I think that's one of the reasons why he brought in Tony Nadal to help him um, sort of develop that, but it hasn't been quite there. And, and, and then, you know, and especially in, uh, in some of the, in, in the grand slams, he seems to, you know, getting pushed by players who are not nearly as good as him in the early rounds. And he doesn't, he doesn't sort of, he sort of freezes up. And um, I'm not sure why, I'm not sure if he knows why he does that. And uh, I think he's quite hopeful that if he can get healthy, that he'll have a bounce back year at 24. Yeah, he definitely has the talent to. So we'll have to wait and see on how that develops. I mean, the last category I had was three words to describe the ATP season. What are your What are your three words of choice? I would say uh, the first two are completely opposite because <laughs> one is one is predictable and surprise. One mm-hmm. is predictable; the other is surprising. I feel like you've been looking at my script because I've also got predictable as one of my words. Yeah, um, so both predictable, surprising, and I will I will also throw in there disappointing, um, because uh, it, it, you know Rafa wasn't able to play after January eighteenth or so or whatever whatever that date was, and I I think you know that was I, I think most tennis fans wanted to see a little more. Rafa and Novak, um, especially after the way 22 went and Rafa was really in such great form until when, until the semi, until the quarterfinals of Wimbledon really. Uh, and so I think in that sense, that a, a qualified disappointment there. Yeah. I, I know, I know what you're saying. I've got predictable, I've got procession and I put transition as well. I feel like this season, 
I still think we're in a sort of transitionary phase and, uh, you know, Novak Djokovic has asserted himself at the top and I'm still kind of waiting for that moment to happen. I think we got like a false dawn, perhaps, when Carlos Alcaraz defeated him um, at, at Wimbledon. But I still think we're in a sort of transitionary phase. And as a result, maybe to me, it's a little bit kind of weaker than when it was set with, you know, the big three or the big four. And it's this opportunity now, I think, for Novak Djokovic to just, I don't know, for me, it's just this opportunity now for him to mop up and sweep up all the tournaments because it doesn't feel like anyone's ever, anyone's close to him at the moment. Yeah, he's taken. He's he's he has, uh, you know, he's pulled pulled everything back. <laughs> it pulled everything back his way. Right. I'm gonna ask you for some predictions now for 2024. I would just like one name for each of these categories. I'm gonna give you. So you ready? Sure. Right. Year end ATP number one at the end of 2024 season. Alcaraz. Your Grand Slam champion at the Australian Open. Djokovic. French Open. Ah, Alcaraz. Ooh, Wimbledon. And and I'm saying Alcaraz, but because I don't think that, I I don't think that. You don't think Rafa's going to. I don't Mm. think Rafa's going to be in the okay. physical shape okay. at that point. Um, Wimbledon? I hope he I hope he surprises me. So I'll give uh Wimbledon, I'll go back to Djokovic. And US Open? Um it's it's, it's somebody in center. Yes, I've got Yannick Sinner as well. I think US Open, as you say, it's 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 towards the end of the season. I mean, it's a, an Olympic year as well. It's a it's going to be even more punishing of a season. And I always think that the US Open is prone to throw up surprises and, and first time champions. So I've also got Yannick Sinner there. Yeah, and Djokovic is really going to bust his ass to win uh, win the win the Olympic gold medal. I mean, he's it's the it's the one hole in his resume. Well, that was going to be my next question. Who is going to be your gold medalist at Paris 2024 in the singles? I guess I'll give I'll, I'll give Djokovic the you know mm-hmm. when he seems to want something really badly, <laughs> he seems to get it, and you know I could I, I could almost see him like you know. Well, he doesn't really play, he doesn't play any grass court tournaments other than Wimbledon anyway. Um, so it's not like, but but I think he's going to, I think he's going to play. Maybe he'll play one clay court tournament before. Mm, interesting. The yeah. French Open is is my guess because he's really talked about how he's going to have to manage his calendar next year. Um, so. You know, he'll probably play Monte Carlo because he can sleep in his own bed. Maybe play Monte Carlo in Rome, and that's it. He won't. You know, he's not. Gonna, he's not going to waste his time in in Spain, uh, in at either Barcelona or Madrid, or you know. So I think he's. Yeah, I I, I think he's really going to have to be careful. And before we go to a quick break, what is your one bold out there prediction that that nobody else would make? Well, I don't know that no one else would make, but I I I think Arthur Fe- Arthur Fees is going to be a massive star by the end of next mm, year. Okay, interesting. Top ten, top twenty. So I don't. Uh, yeah, I think certainly top twenty. Um, but I'm thinking more of like, you know, he's going to have one big breakthrough thing. He's going to have one big breakthrough and like make some semifinal or something like that. Mm. And, and I mean. You can't 
you you can't watch him and not like completely fall in love with his game and his demeanor and um you know look he if he wasn't doing this he'd be you, you know he'd be starring in in films <laughs> like that like he's that good looking and mm. modeling or something like that <laughs> so he's the kind of person that like I, I, you know i have I have I have three daughters, and when they when they've seen him on TV, they say, "Who is that?" Oh wow! I mean, I've seen him. I have seen him in person, and uh, uh, Chris, my one of my co-hosts, he he thinks he's got big things uh, in store for Arthur Fee as well, and he has got a very like it looks like a very seasoned and a very well functioning body. It feels like for someone who is so young, particularly when I compare him to someone like, you know, Jack Draper from a British point of view, who I still think has like work to do with his body to get it up to the rigors of, uh, of the ATP tour. Yeah. It seems like Arthur, if, if you took Draper's head and Arthur's body, you'd probably have a, like a number, a, mm. a top four player right now. Uh, maybe, um, Maybe you need, you know, but, but yeah, Arthur needs to get his head under control a little bit better. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I mean, he would be 19, he's going to be 19 next year. So he's still pretty young. So I guess that's a fairly bold prediction that he's going to be a big star in the game by the end of next year. Well, we shall wait and see. I mean, my one bold prediction was Andy Murray will retire after Wimbledon so listeners make of that what you will but we're going to take a quick break now do join us in the second half where we're going to be looking back on the WTA 2023 season so do not go anywhere where's that dust coming from still finding debris after vacuuming Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets and it's totally hands-free want to know more go to eufy.com that's e-u-f-y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799 Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast. And now we're going to move on to talk about the WTA season that was in 2023. I mean, Matt, where to start with the with the WTA season? Because I feel like I want to talk to you more about all the off-court shenanigans that has gone on with the WTA, you know, the business side of things, organizational side of things, because as much as I want to talk about Igor Sviontek and, and Arena Sabalenka, I feel like we've got to start with Cancun and just the sort of the catalogue of errors it has felt at times that the the WTA have, has made this season. There's no question that uh, they just didn't. You, you you can't imagine how they how they could have messed that one up more, um, given how predictable it was um, that they were going to have to find somewhere else. Um, I, I just it, it was it's sort of mind boggling that it, that it could take that it took so long for them to a make a decision on where they were going to relocate the WTA finals and then to make sort of such a bad choice and then have such a predictable outcome of you know empty stands and terrible weather. 
it was really, I think, the icing, you know, on on the cake of the season. I think we've seen players, you know, embroiled with the, um, you know, the the chief exec Steve Steve Simon, like a, you know, seeing that spill out on on social media, like Rabakina, and uh, it feels that it's not been, it's been quite messy at times, and it's it's sad because I think you look at the players that they have on the tour at the moment. I think particularly at the top of the game, they really have, I think, strength strength in depth at the moment. There's lots of characters, there's lots of quality players. And you've had players, I think, announce themselves this season at that very top. You know, players like like Coco Goff in the, uh, you know, during the, the hard court swing and, and the US Open. Um, but before that, I mean, we had Iga Sviontek, who it felt like she seemingly dominated, you know, the 2022. We were talking about, you know, the streaks that, that she was going on. And it felt like this season, she didn't necessarily have it all her own way. Yes, she did end up as a WTA end of season, you know, number one. But how would you assess Iga Sviontek and, and her season in terms of how it went? Do you think like it was a good season from her point of view? Or do you think there was room for improvement? Yeah, I think I, I think for by the standard, by what should be the realistic standards of a tennis player, then look, she had a really good season. She ended the season as number one and she won a grand slam. So if you're a professional tennis player, you kind of have to sign for that. Um, but by Iga Sviontek standards, do you think that's, do you think that's the same case? Uh, I think it should be um, considering that she doesn't really, that, that she hasn't really tried that hard at it and doesn't, and really doesn't know how to play on grass. Mm. So now you're down to three grants. Now, now you're down to three grand slams. Um, one of them, you know, I think people would say like, well, she's going to win that one for the next 10 years. So they, <laughs> it's you know, like a rougher situation. So, but she's so good on clay. I don't necessarily agree with that actually. Um, but uh, it, it, because I do think there are players who can sort of match her on good days um, there. Uh, and, but so, you know, and then you, you so you, then you have Australia and the U.S. Open. You saw how hard it was for her to win the U.S. Open the year mm. before. Um, she doesn't really like New York. She, it's a it's a battle there. She has a hard time getting into the proper headspace. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think if. Look, it's an outrageous year if you win two Grand Slams. If you win one and you end up number one in the world, um, then that's pretty. Then that's pretty terrific. I don't know how many years you're going to see someone have 37 match winning streaks on the WTA tour. It's just it doesn't really happen all that much. So I think, you know, our expectations, our expectations got sort of ruined for players over the last 15 years by you know Serena, Rafa, Roger, and Novak. It's interesting. I haven't really thought about it like that. But I mean, what did you make of the fact that, you know, we didn't have Naomi Osaka on the tour this season? You know, her absence, what what impact do you feel like that had on the tour? And do you think Naomi Osaka, it sounds like she's going to be coming back next season with a, like a proper schedule. Do you think that is, you know, if you're if you're in the, you know, you're at the top of the rankings, like at like Igor Shiontech, are you... Are you concerned? Are you worried with a, a a fit and you know motivated Naomi Osaka coming back to the tour? I think they're in a I'll see it when I believe it mm. mode at the moment. I don't get the sense that Naomi Osaka has really factored into 
a lot of top players thinking in terms of, you know, capital, capital N, capital O, Naomi Osaka, you know, mm. the Naomi Osaka that we saw when she was in her peak form for, yeah, probably two years at this point. Um, you know, if you go, it, you know, the last time I think she was really like thought of like, okay, Naomi's going to be a force was at the 2020 US, 2021 US Open when she was, you know, defending champion and, um, you know, coming, you know, sort of coming back fairly strong from a bit of a layoff and came back at the Olympics and, you know, um, did all right, you know, under tremendous, tremendous amount of pressure, but then had that real struggle and that real breakdown. And I don't know that ever since then, uh, you know, wasn't great in Australia that, that next January. And then since then it's been, you know, she's just not, she hasn't really factored that much into people's planning and in their minds. And, you know, when, when she gets out there and starts beating people badly, um, then, then they'll start thinking about her again. But, but tennis is very much a, a, show me sport um and you know she's gonna have to show some people that she belongs with them again i think going into next season we've got a lot of players who you know will think that they have credible opportunities to win grand slam titles because in 2023 i mean we had sabalenka win the australian open defeated rabakina in the final and a great entertaining final in three sets as you said french open Sviontek defeated carolina mukova um, in three sets. And then perhaps the most surprising final of all, we got Wimbledon, Von Drusifer defeating Onzu Bor 6-4, 6-4. And then Coco Goff defeated Sabalenka at the US Open. I mean, which of those kind of Grand Slam, you know, finals sticks out to you? Because, you know, for me, I, I feel like the na- the GB nation, the UK nation, I think wept uh, for Onzu Bor, you know, in that in that Grand Slam final against Von Drusifer. I think everyone kind of felt like it was her moment. You know, she had been in Grand Slam finals before. She had had that experience, that learning curve. She, you know, was going to approach this with the right mindset. But ultimately, it just didn't, again, it just it just didn't happen to her against, uh, a, you know, a fit and firing Marquette of Andrusova. Yeah, the one that really sticks out for me, and I'll just show my bias here, um, is, is obviously the Coco. Coco. Uh, mm. The Coco final at the US Open, which was just a kind of magical moment for... American sports, certainly. Mm. And, you know, and I think tennis as well, because, um, you know, no, this is not necessarily a criticism of Iga or Sabalenka or Rubakina, who are great champions and may end up having better careers on paper than Coco. But in terms of a kind of star power and transformative, uh, you know, trans. transformative draw that she brings to the sport uh, none of them i think really approach what coco has um and i, I mean and i referenced my three daughters before i'll reference them mm. again because they are i mean they're between the ages of 17 and 24 and they are just obsessed with coco um what is it about coco goff that you feel that gives her that star power that feels like transcends tennis into new audiences you know she's just she's funny 
you know, first, you know, she's funny, she's bright eyed, she's real, she's authentic, she's emotional, she's not afraid to show her emotions, um, she's not afraid to be vulnerable, and she just has a really good head on her shoulders, and she has had a good on had good head on her shoulders ever since she appeared on the scene. Um, I mean, just go look up the the speech she gave at the Black Lives Matter march in Florida when George Floyd was murdered. And that was in 2020. And so three years ago, she was 16 years old at the time. And, you know, you have this, I don't know what you were doing at 16 years old, but I wasn't giving speeches (laughs) about the biggest, the biggest, you know, civil Mm. rights moment in a generation um, in front of thousands of people and, doing it with the eloquence and poise that she was doing. And so, and, and that, that is her, you know, she's just unafraid and honest and um, she just has a cool about her. Uh, And, and, you know, and that just, that just shines through. Um, So for, and that, and, and then when she, you know, she, she fought back and she, and she won and she just, you know, goes into the crowd and she's in that sort of puddle of tears with her parents. And, you know, that's just kind of a magical moment in her home slam. Um, you know, this young black girl uh, playing a sport that, you know, a generation and a half ago wasn't really all that open to black girls. And now is like, you know, the obsession of black girls everywhere in America. Um, that those are, these are sort of, larger themes that um she hits on that is 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 something that you sort of can't really buy uh in terms of in terms of story quality and narrative and publicity um for a sport yeah and there's no doubt in my mind that you know she brought on brad gilbert um into into her team over the summer and that i think you know, had you could see it had it had a big difference on on the court. Where do you think Coco Goff goes from here? Do you feel like she's like ready to have a crack potentially at, at like a world world number one singles ranking? You know, next year, or or do you think that's there's still work to be done to get to to that point where you're fighting with the the Shviontex and the, and the Sabalenkas of the the WTA tour? Yeah, I mean, look, I think she I think she has a Shviontek problem. Um, you know, that's a, that's a tough, that is a tough matchup for her as the record, as the record will show. Um, you know, but it is, but I think it's, I don't know that she'll ever even out that record or go on a roll, but I mean, it's solvable. People get, things happen. People get hurt. So Shantek will go into a slump. You know, it's, it, a lot of this is time, you know, things, things never go as we, predict they might or think that they might, um, you know, the Shvantec will might lose early one tournament. Like it's going to happen. It happens to everybody at some point. So, um, but I, I don't, I mean, I think she's every bit the player of, of Sebelink and Rabakina. Um, certainly given her age at this point, I mean, she's 19 still. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what's. I think that's always the thing you sort of forget with Coco Goff is that she's still so incredibly young. Yeah, and she didn't even expect her. So I mean, I had asked her last. I think she. I think she said she thought she was like 
in Australia, I think I asked her, and I think she said she was about like 65% of the players she thought she could be. Mm -hmm. And she had sort of studied it, and she she went through it and was like, look, if you look at when most players win their Grand Slams, it's between the ages of like 21 and 26. She's like, so I think, you know, I got a couple of years to go, and I'm going to get there, and I'm going to get to who I'm going to be. Um when that'll happen. And so if you think of, if you think of her in those terms and think, wow, she's still got two, three more years before she gets to who she thinks she can be, that's going to be a pretty good player. Definitely. And I mean, just reflecting on, on US women's tennis, and we've, we've spoken at length about Coco Goff. The other player up there, I think leading the charge is, is Jesse Pagula, Coco Goff's doubles partner I mean what do you make of, of Jesse Pagula because I still feel like we're still in that waiting can she go further in in Grand Sams yes she's a consistent threat on the tour but do you feel like there's again still potentially work to do there in order to realize maybe her ultimate goals of getting first of all to a Grand Sam final so I do think she can get she can go further I mean like she should have won that match against Van Joseva or she had four mm. she had a point for five yeah. one yeah, in the she third did. set Right. Um, you know, she should win. She's going to win that match 90% of the time, probably. Um, she didn't on that day. So certainly she can, she, she can go farther. Uh, it, it's just a matter of sort of like putting her head together and getting across the finish getting across the finish line. Can she win a grand slam? I mean, if you look at the players on WTA tour who have won grand slams, then I don't really see like why she can't or at some I point. I find it tough. I watched the WTA finals in Cancun that, you know, she lost to Sviantec, you know, one and love in the final. I'm just like, there's times when I'm just like, her ceiling is not high enough to personally to me, her ceiling is not high enough right. maybe. No, no, I'm not talking about like whether her ceiling is high enough to beat Sviantec, but Marketa von Drozova won a Grand Slam without beating Iga Sviantec. Yeah. Like you don't always have to beat Iga Sviantec to get mm. to get into the into a Grand Slam final. Um, sometimes you only have to beat you know. Sometimes you you, you only have to beat Alanis Vitolina and in the semifinal and on Shibor in the final. And um, if Pakula ended up with that that had, had had gone through and ended up with that draw like maybe she's the Wimbledon champion mm -hmm. like she she might be so um so can she I, I think it would be I think it would be sort of irresponsible and just silly to say she can't like if she and Iga's Giantek played 20 times do I think she'd win that Iga would probably win 17 or 18 of them probably but maybe the trick is just not playing Sabalenka. <laughs> yeah i mean like and that happens i mean just look at who has won yeah finals yeah radicano won the grand slam finals sophia kennan has won as won a grand slam final and made another one um you know it it mukova who i think is the most beautiful and either one of the top five players in the world i mean she nearly won a grand slam final this year so um Look, you know, it it it, it, it can it happen. Absolutely, it yeah. absolutely can happen. Just on, you know, we spoke about Pagula and Goff. Does it feel like USA women's tennis is is like the spotlight is is firmly on those two? Because you mentioned Sophia Kennan. I thought she had a little bit of a 
a Yelena Ostapenko type resurgence, you know, this this season. You've got Madison Keys as well, just outside the top ten. I mean, are there any other names that impressed you in, in US US tennis this season, or was it just the Pagula and, and Goff show the, the majority of it? No, Peyton Stearns impressed the hell out of me. She's great. I'm annoyed you said that because I still remember her defeating uh, Katie Balter, uh, British Britain's Katie Balter in uh, at the US Open, and I thought that was like this is a good matchup to get. I think to the to round four of uh, of Flushing Meadows. Yeah, and that was a <laughs> um, that was a weird match because it got moved, was it was I on think. late, wasn't it? It was like it was four on... pe- it was four people there. Yeah, yeah, I was one of the four for a little <laughs> while, and. Um, yeah, I mean, and and Katie, I mean, Peyton Stearns was not going to lose that match. Mm. She was just like, I mean, where's know, Peyton I'm, Stearns come from? She she come from from college she, tennis. Yeah, she was the NCAA champion at Texas, and um, you know, you talk about somebody else who like you know put her in the Ben Shelton category mm. of having paid, played very little out, you know, very little you know, uh, grown woman tennis before. She won the NCAA championship, and 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 she is a she is a battler, and she's really learning. I mean, she beat Ostapenko at the French Open in a match that I don't think anybody thought she was going to win. Um, and she, I think, can probably count on two hands the number of red clay matches she had played before the French Open this year. I mean, very very few. She had very little experience on it, and um, you know, I think she's. She's someone nobody really knows, but like she's, I think she's got it. She's going to be a very, very solid player for a, a while. Well, we're going to move on now to the Tennis Weekly Awards once again for the WTA season 2023. So, favorite match, surprise package, most improved player, biggest disappointment, and three words to describe the WTA season. Let's start with favorite match. What was your favorite match on the WTA tour this season? So I'm going to go back to a, 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 and I'm, I'm going to set aside the Coco Goff final. Cause obviously that was that for some reasons for, for reasons would be a favorite match, but it was a weird, it wasn't all that competitive. Ultimately <laughs> it was, it was not a great match at the end. Um, it, but, uh, so in Indian Wells, Peyton Stearns played a match against Bianca Andreescu. Um, that was an absolute slugfest, and it went three sets, and it was one of those sort of like Indian Wells field courts matches where the crowd is there, and it's loud, and it's right on top of the action, and you just had these two women going at each other, and it was it was tight, and it was Andreescu doing bringing the full Andrescu and you know I just love what you know there's she's my favorite player to watch, watch probably on the tour um and so that was that was really a match that like sticks out of my head of I just remember being really happy I remember sitting on that field court and I don't know what else was going on in that tournament at the time but I did not want to be anywhere else besides, yeah. I didn't care I didn't want to be anywhere <laughs> else but watch it, it you know but but in the middle of the desert, you know, in the third row, watching watching these two players play. Yeah, yeah, I I had that, and uh, for my, what my favorite match was, which was uh, I've, I'm going to say, uh, do you remember Svitolina versus Azarenka at Wimbledon, um, which I thought was very highly charged, uh, 
quality tennis. I've been surprised with how well Svitolina has has come back um, since uh, you know since coming back to the tour. I've been very impressed, and I think it was yeah. All- now that you mention it, I'm kind of sad I didn't I didn't put <laughs> put Svitolina and uh, Fiontech at Wimbledon. In that, oh yes, in that I mean, slot. That mm, was a pretty, there was some fantastic pretty- matches in that in Wimbledon. Also, Svitolina Bencic. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one, but Svitolina was very close yeah, to going she, out against yeah, Bencic. She, she, Bencic had match point, didn't yeah. she? And yeah. Was, as Iga's, Iga, I think Iga said that was the only time in her life she ever come back from match point down well there you go um right let's move on surprise package of 2023 uh mira andreva oh i like it that's a good one yeah i mean this is you know was she 15 Mm. when she showed up in madrid and you know just started beating and just started basically beating everybody are you are you you expecting her to be a future i don't know slam champion world number one these de- uh, you know in, in in years to come or or are you sort of nervous like i don't know is she's peaking too soon or she's just going to get stuck or where, where do you see that kind of progressing I feel, to i feel like if i answer that now i'm going to have to come up with another answer for one of my later oh cat- okay okay right well hold that stories. hold that thought then yeah <laughs> um i'm gonna say i'm gonna say oh well i've already said her name actually i'm gonna say alina svitolina because of the way yes you know she's bounced back and uh, uh you know coming back to the tour after a long period off it it is no certainty um it is very very hard to do i think we see that uh, sadly with someone like you know dominic team for example on, on the men's side it's there's no guarantees you're going to get back to, to where you were and uh i was impressed with how ready to go Svitolina was when she came back to the tour so I've got her as my surprise package what about most improved player of 2023 uh I would say Coco yes I've got Coco as well yeah and even the most improved player like within a four-month span of 2023 Mm. like she was I don't think she was thought to be ready to win a grand slam um in the spring in, in the spring and then and then by the end of the summer she was clearly yeah I, and you know the worry i had was you know when she was winning those tournaments in the build-up to the us open i was like has she has she peaked too soon um so i was almost like pleasantly surprised she went on a fantastic run and became us open champion because um yeah it was it was duly warranted i think from all of the the improvements that she's made with with her game, and I think that you know the changes that I think she also made to her team. You know, with with as I said, bringing Brad Gilbert on board, I think you know that was a very wise move, and uh, it well seemingly paid off for her. So um, yes, I agree with you there. Uh, biggest disappointment of twenty twenty three. Again, I'm going to qualify this uh, with player who is going to be disappointed in themselves because. Otherwise, it's. I feel like it's. 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 A, it's. You know, me being mean. I don't ever <laughs> want to be mean. Unwarranted. You yep. know, these players are. For ninety-five percent of them are trying their best all the time and working really hard. But um, look, Emirata Kano is probably completely shattered by the way her twenty twenty-three went. Um, she didn't want to. She, she didn't. She didn't want to end up with you know, two wrist surgeries, or, right? And and not being able to play for most of the year. And, um, you know, and she's another person that the, the sport could really benefit from having. Um, she could be such a bright light. And uh, she's, you know, really going to be starting from scratch. Absolutely. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how she comes back 
I don't even know at the moment if, she, if she's going to try and, and play the Aus- the Australian Open. Um, but um, yeah, we'll we'll have to see how that develops. But from British point of view, I think we've yeah we've really missed her. Although I will say, you know, Katie Balter has done well. I think in in her absence, I mean, she's now pushing you know, top 50, one Nottingham Open this year. I think she's really, really developed. And I just feel like if Raducanu can come back um, and show some of that tennis and be just, just be fit, um, fully fit on the tour, I think we'll, yeah, British tennis will be in a good place. I mean, my disappointment was um, on Zubor not winning Wimbledon because I was, I was there for the ladies' semi-finals there and I watched her beat Sabalenka and it was a fantastic topsy-turvy match. But to do that... And then not go and get the job done against Von Drusova. I think it was, yeah, that was sting for her given she'd been in that situation now multiple times. And uh, yeah, I was very kind of disappointed for her. But I'm hoping that, as I say, that story is not finished and next season she can go and, you know, perhaps get revenge and, and right the wrong of that story. No reason she could, no reason, no reason that she can't. No. Like I said before, like she yeah, there's no, there is reasons she can't. She might need some breaks along the way, but um, she certainly, you know, she's been within a set before, so um, she should get there. So three words to describe the WTA season this year. What are your three words? I would say scattered, enticing, and at moments thrilling. Oh, lovely. I can tell you're a tennis writer. Um, yes, uh, I, I. it's hard to disagree. I've gone for chaotic i'm talking more to the wta kind of business side there quality because i just think you know we've got like so many great individuals and entertaining um yeah i think you know i think there's more depth there and there's more rivalries and there's more combinations that can create great tennis on the wta tour at the moment versus the atp tour i know there's a sort of Djokovic is the ultimate ultimate end boss and you know it's it's thrilling to see if someone can defeat him but there's a lot of good mat you know there's a lot of good first round grand slam matches in the wta yeah. tour these days which you can't really say about the men's yeah. tour yeah I agree. I mean, maybe there's one like you know like in the first couple of days where you look at it on paper and you go like oh wow that's a pop mm. that's a real popcorn match but like every grand slam like these days the first couple of days because there's a lot of former champions who are who are still playing well, but may not be, you know, seated or or seated high. And or, I mean, there's just I mean, like Ken and Coco got first round Wimbledon was like, whoa, mm. <laughs> that's that's a real match. You know, like, I know it's like almost yeah, like how's how is this a round one match? Yeah. So like, and that happened round two happens, and it's even more in round two. Like it gets it gets very real very quickly, uh, you know, for the WTA tour. Okay, we're going to move on to some predictions for 2024. Again, similar to uh, ATP, I'd love to hear one name for each of these. Year-end WTA number one ranked player. Yeah, eager. Yeah, I've gone eager Svantec as well. Okay, Grand Slam champions, Australian Open. Um, God, this is, you know, okay, <laughs> it's so much goes into this. But it, Are you going to say but... Peyton Stearns? I'm not. I, I'm not going to say Peyton Stearns, um, but I'll probably say Rabakina. Oh, okay. French Open. Um, I'm going to go out on a real limb here. I'm going to say Coco. Oh, interesting. Not Schwiontek. Wimbledon. Uh, 
it, you know, why not? Let's get let's get on Shapur over the finish line. <laughs> uh, U.S. Open, eager. Mm. So I've I've gone Goff Australian Open, Schwiontek French Open, Sabalenka Wimbledon, Schwiontek U.S. Open. So yeah, I've got I've got eager with two trophies, but uh, yeah, maybe we're we're differing on our on our opinions. But um, yeah, I just think at some point Coco's going to win the French Open and win it, and maybe I'm choosing a bad year for it. Um, but I think that's a that's something that re- how good a player she is on mm. clay always gets is you know she's already she made the French Open final at 17 right she didn't play a great final uh, she, you know she played poorly there. oh no excuse me at 18 you know against Iga she lost to Iga but you know a lot the she gets more time on her forehand on clay and it makes a massive difference mm. and she's hugely dangerous and especially now that she knows how to play a little differently with Brad Gilbert showing her the light a little bit um i i don't know i think she's she's really dangerous on you know on on clay that's what that's why i say it I, and so you know and i didn't want to just and i didn't want to just say eager cuz that's boring i mean naturally this does bring me on to the fact that you know paris this is going to be at roland garros paris 2024 Who's your gold medalist? Uh, eager. Okay, right. And what is your one bold out there prediction for the WTA tour? Uh, next so season, I sort of, I sort of, you know, forecasted this before, but you know, I'm going to put Mira Andreva in a Grand Slam final. Wow, wow, you, you, well, I want to. I'm going to timestamp this. You heard it here first. Mira Andreva in a Grand Slam final next season. I'm curious. Have you got ideas on on which one it might be? Uh, I don't because I don't think she cares. Okay. I honestly, I think she's like, <laughs> I think she doesn't care what she's playing on. I think she just sees the ball, hits the ball. You know, she was a, she was asked maybe a queen, not a at Queens, but what at one of the tournaments maybe is early Wimbledon. Like, are you finally it weird to play on grass? I don't think she played on grass before. And she's like, no, nah, it's not weird. It's just it's just tennis. It's just tennis, yeah. And it was like, really? And like, <laughs> but that's who she is. She really doesn't care. Like, okay. Put lines on a court, put, put lines on a ground, give her a racket and a bob a hit and she's ready to go and she'll rip your, th- and she'll rip your throat out before, <laughs> you know, before she leaves it, leaves it. She might rip her own throat out too, but, um, she's just like a gamer, you know? And, uh, so I have, I have, I am very high on her future. I'm, I'm fascinated to see now how, how, you know, how she develops next season. My one bold prediction was... Serena Williams will play the US Open. I don't know why I've written that down, but um, she always, I feel like, teases us on, on social media with her playing tennis with, with Venus Williams on a, on a tennis court. But um, for some reason, I've just got that in my in my head when I was uh, writing out my predictions. So uh, Singles? Are you thinking singles? Ooh, I'm not going to go that... I'm not going to go that specific at the moment. I'm going to say maybe Serena Venus doubles. I'm, let's, let's stay with that. I, I don't feel like they've had that, mo- that moment but uh, yeah, I, c- I could see that happening. Just just chuck them a wild card and uh, just give them the give them that moment. I think potentially could happen. Okay, <laughs> I can see it. Um, right, Matt. Thank you so much for for coming on to the Tennis Weekly podcast. I've got one final question for you. It's a question we ask 
all of our guests who come onto the show and it has nothing to do uh, with tennis it is to do with the fact that we are we are a british tennis podcast we love our tea at tennis weekly hq and we've got to ask you are you a tea drinker or are you a coffee drinker or, or what's your 100 percent tea oh okay what's your what's your tea what's your tea game so this is by the way this is why this is like i'm much more of a, a of a england person than a france person okay you know because like i don't like wine i like beer i don't mm-hmm. like coffee i like tea i like <laughs> I, I, can, I can go down the line down the line i'm much more so so what is my tea um you mean like what brand or yeah. what flavor yeah and milk sugar um you know i would love sugar but i try and keep off it mm-hmm. but yeah i have some so i generally soy milk mm-hmm. yeah yeah um uh, generally soy milk and um you know, it depends on the time of day. I guess ideally start out with a little Irish breakfast or something. Um, you know, middle of the day, depending on how sleepy I am, maybe English breakfast uh, or Earl Grey. Sometimes the afternoon, move to, you know, a chai or something like that. So <laughs> yeah, I drink a lot. Of, I drink a lot of tea, and um, when it gets hot, I just switch to iced tea. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that that is lovely to hear. I think it sounds like you've got a very kind of sophisticated, you know, you know what you're doing when it comes to your your tea drinking. I think I do think about it. I mean, like I, I I always have tea bags in my backpack when I'm traveling around. It's got to happen. Yeah. Right. Because like, (laughs) um, I mean, Rolling Garros, you can't get tea, Mm. but you can get hot water. Okay. So you have, so I have tea bags in my backpack for throughout for you know during the day when i'm there well listeners there you go i've enjoyed our review of the 2023 season with matt futterman uh matt uh, you're on you're on social media you are the tennis writer for the athletic if if our listeners are interested in in following you um and your articles for for the athletic as well do you have a social social media profile if you do let, let our listeners know now I sure do. I am on, you know, X, the social media site formerly known as Twitter at, at Matt Futterman. Um, I would say I'm on it for now. If Elon Musk keeps behaving <laughs> like he does, I may not be on it for long. Uh, yeah. And I'm also on Facebook, Matt Futterman. You can find me there. Uh, I do have an Instagram handle, but I don't, I'm not very good about using it. So stick with the other ones. We'll put the Twitter um, or X uh, link uh, in our description and uh yeah we'll also put a link as well to to the athletic because uh, you're because you you produce some fantastic articles um i've been reading a, a few of them um in, in the build-up to this well thank you very much i appreciate that and i appreciate you having me on this on this podcast it's terrific well thank you very much for coming on to the show but listeners i hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the tennis weekly podcast remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come in 2024 on the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and X at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can purchase Tennis Weekly merch at xe.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com and don't forget to check out our website 
tennisweekly.co.uk. But for now, we will be back next time for another episode from Tennis Weekly Podcast. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from me and I'll see you again soon.